like hiding my clicker from me. You know, um, if a young minister, you know, maybe probably younger than me, were to come to me, and this scenario has not yet happened, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to pretend like a bunch of people are always coming up asking me for advice. That's not the case. No one does that. But if one were to say, Benjamin, what, I'm going into ministry, what's, what's your, your number one advice? Just I've, I've got to catch this train. I don't know. And just give me one thing. I would say, um, don't let them ever think you're perfect. That's, I, I think that's the number one advice for, for, for preachers is they can't ever think you're perfect. Um, because you're not. Um, we're not perfect. Um, preachers are just are far from it. Uh, ministers are at times can be awful. Um, and I, I have I just to prove my point, I want to tell you about a couple things about me. Um, one's not that serious. The second is um, serious. But the first was. Five weeks ago, I said, you know what? In seven weeks, we're going to have Easter. And so we're going to do a seven-week sermon series on um, the sayings on the cross. And when we're done with that, Easter's going to come. And then we'll start a sermon series on the resurrection. Well, Easter is like four weeks from now. (laughs) Let's just say I was way off. I had Easter pegged as April 30th, and it wasn't just until this week that I thought, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you're not going to make it to Resurrection Sunday to start the sermon series on the resurrection. Uh, we will still be in the sermon series on the resurrection come Easter. So um, at least I didn't just completely miss that boat. Uh, so those of you who are running on Benjamin's time, I am Sorry. Easter is not anytime soon. It's next month. Good into, well into next month. Third Sunday of next month. So, there's that. There's no good way to say that. I'm bad at calendars. That's, <laughs> that's all. It just took, um, it's a little bit of research and I would have been right about that instead of wrong about it. But I wasn't just wrong about it. I was wrong about it since, um, I guess September when I plotted out this year's sermons. I've been wrong. I've had that much time to think about it and be wrong about it, and I've been wrong about it the whole time. So, there you go. Um, secondly, every uh, every Monday I play basketball. I play basketball. Uh, we have a little Bible study and um, at a Baptist church, and then I play basketball. They're the only ones with gyms. Uh, but we have, we play basketball. Now, I, I like to play basketball, and um, I, I take it quasi-seriously. Um, I, I do not remember if I won or I lost, mainly because I'm just trying to block that memory out. I lost. Um, but we were playing this past Monday, and I, uh, I drove into the lane and ended up in the middle of the lane not knowing what to do, like I do. And, uh, and I was five feet from the goal, so I thought, I'm going to shoot it. So I shot it, and I missed it, like I do. And um, the whole way, a guy I just met um, was mad that I had not thrown the ball to him 
in the corner uh, so he could shoot a 20-foot shot instead of my 5-foot shot. And the whole way back down the court, he, he yelled at me. Now, um, I said to him, uh, I said, you were way out there, I was way in there. You aren't making those shots, and apparently I'm not making these shots, but... Now, the problem was, is that I matched his tone. He was yelling at me, I yelled back at him. I said, no, you were way out there, you know, I matched his tone. And I felt, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow night, I felt awful about that ever since. Um... Now, we did, we had a conversation afterward where it was very calm, and I was like, listen, I am not mad at you, but I just want you to know, if you're five feet from the basket, and I'm 20 feet from the basket, I want you to shoot that shot and not pass it to me, especially if you're uncontested. But I should have waited. I should have had that moment where I said, I'm not going to match your tone. Because the way Christians react should be different than the way non-Christians react. Does that make sense? And while it may, a lot of you may be saying, Benjamin, I've been there, I've done that. We shouldn't. We should not do that. Our tipping point of anger, our tipping point of raising our voice, should be a much higher threshold than the people who don't. We should look different than the people who don't claim Jesus. Now, sometimes the the, um, litmus litmus test of Christianity is, well, do they know their Bible? Do they have the right beliefs about the Bible? Do they have the right opinions about the Bible? And while that... That matters on some level. If you weren't here last week, the sermon last week talked about the fact that our opinions should be, our opinions should not be the only thing affected by Scripture. It should be our lives, the way we live. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this kid and apologize to him next week um, or th- tomorrow. But there is a, um, I hope he's there. Um, Otherwise, I'll just forget it. I'm just kidding. Um, There's there's going to be a rub sometimes between the way God has called us to live and the way we are actually living. And when that rub comes, it does not matter your opinions about Scripture. It doesn't matter what you believe about doctrine. All that matters is that somebody sees you yelling back at them. And that's just not okay. Um, so, I've been yelled at in church while I was teaching a class before a guy stood up and shouted at me. And I, but for some reason, it was basketball that brought it out of me. Um, we'll get back to that. I think um, my sermon this week convicts me more than just about anything. Um, and it might convict you, and I hope if it convicts you, it's not just, oh, Benjamin's preaching at me. I just, I won't preach at you. I, I'm always preaching at me, and if you get caught in the crossfire, then so be it. Um, secondly, 
if you feel like I'm preaching at you, you probably need to let the scripture work on your heart. Um, but here we go. In um, the next two weeks, we're going to um, examine two things Jesus said right before he died. Now, we're, we're big last words people. We, we, there's books you can find, just thick books on the last words of famous people. And the last words of famous people are important because it shows their, um, their, their motives. And sometimes it's somebody thought it was going to be their last word, so they'd prepared this thing and they'd said it and it was beautiful and then they lived a little longer and their last words ended up being, is it still Wednesday? Um, that's, that's a true one. But last words, people try to hold on to them and whenever you're, you're telling a story about someone and them dying... The last words they said are, are, are pretty important. And in two different accounts, we have Luke's account and we have John's account. Jesus says two different things. And we're going to look at Luke's last words today. We're going to look at Luke's. And Luke um, tells the story from a certain perspective. And I want to help us remember that perspective so that these words can... Um, ring true. I don't have this scripture on the, the, the board, but Luke, as he tells the story of the cross, remember that Luke is where we got the two criminals, where Jesus has the interaction with the two criminals. There are two criminals on either side of him. These aren't just thieves. You don't crucify thieves. You chop their hands off, which is still pretty rough. Um, I don't think we still do that. I'm not a lawyer. But anyway... You crucified people, revolutionaries, people who were going against the Roman government. And these two criminals were um, harassing Jesus, or one was at least. And he has this conversa- conversation with this criminal, and he says, Listen, um, uh, the criminal says, Hey, don't beat on Jesus to the other criminal. Don't beat on Jesus. He's innocent. We're guilty. We deserve what we need, what we, um, what we are getting, and he doesn't. But this criminal, Luke says, is, is bad-mouthing Jesus, harassing Jesus. And then Luke turns his attention um, to the people. The people stood, in verse 35 of Luke chapter 23, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And then the soldiers, in verse 36, the soldiers harassed him. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now my instinct, my instinct in this situation is to say, yeah. We sing that song, he could, have, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Um, which those weren't, I don't know if those were his two options. I don't know if destroying the world and dying were the only two options. But he could have done anything. He could have gotten off the cross. He could have been saved. He could have done anything. But yet he sat there and took it or hung there and took it. Not just the pain of the crucifixion, but the, the humiliation of being mocked, of being 
criticized the same people who laid down the palm branches as he entered into Jerusalem, the same people who cried Hosanna as he walked. He was betrayed by everybody. Everybody said, well, if he really is the Messiah, he wouldn't be crucified right now, now would he be? And so they mocked him. So Luke paints this image of Jesus on the cross, but not just Jesus on the cross. We've got criminals mocking him, but even more, uh, we have soldiers mocking him. We have uh, the leaders of the Jews mocking him. Even the Roman government puts a sign that's almost uh, like uh, an editorial on how silly this Jesus was. Puts a sign on his cross that says, the king, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And everyone comes down on Jesus and no one comes to his aid. And how does he react? Well, in Luke, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Luke, he has the sense to tell this criminal, today you're going to be with me. And Luke, when uh, he is made fun of, he does not retaliate. Actually, in all the Gospels, he does not retaliate. He does not come back to them. Uh, I, really, I really wrestle with comebacks. I think I've told you all this before. You know that feeling you, when, you come, when you come away from a conversation, you think, oh, I should have said that. Oh, that would have got him. You know, nailed him. Coming from someone who rarely drives away, having said, I should have thought of it, because my sin is that I think of it. In the moment, on the spot. Um, and it never feels as good as you thought it was going to. It just never does. So my instinct is to come back and to prove wrong and to verbally attack. Um, and that's just as wrong as physically attacking. It's just as wrong. And it has left me feeling just awful in my life. Those of us who say the things in the moments are always the ones driving away saying, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But Jesus hung on the cross, being ridiculed by everyone around. And all he says is, Father, forgive them. All he says is, I'm thirsty. All he says is, um, today you will be with me in paradise. All he says is, I'm taking care of my mother. John, will you please take her in? And here, his last words. We'll pick up in verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over, over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Uh, two things that are happening there. Um, 
and especially in Luke. For Luke, Jesus predicts, in, in AD 70, Jerusalem fell. The Roman, uh, about 68, Jerusalem decided that they wanted to be free from Roman authority, and so the uh, Romans sent in some troops. There was a year around, uh, at the, around from 69 to 70 where there were four Caesars in one year, so it was kind of a, a mess, so that there was a break from the battle, and then the, the Romans said, all right, we're, we're putting into this. Vespasian sent in the, 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 the herds and just destroyed Jerusalem. Just wiped it out. And in Luke, Jesus is predicting this a lot. You'll even see on his way, on his way to the cross, he tells them, there's this, he, they're all weeping for Jesus. The, he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say, the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things, they persecute me when I, crucify me when I'm innocent. If men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? What will happen when you're actually revolting? And so here at the temple, veil is torn. And for us, that means that God isn't just housed in the temple, but for those who worship God in the temple, that meant God's no longer with you. This will, what you have done to God's Son, will come back to bite you. For Luke, it's actually a very... Um, condemning statement. So he says, or Luke tells a story about the curtain ripping and um, from the top it was torn. Jesus called out in a loud voice, and for Luke this is his last words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Your Bible may say soul, your Bible may say life, and you may say, well, which is it? Spirit, soul, or life? And the Bible says, yes. That just that one word, you did everything for them. Father, into your hands I commit my life. I commit my spirit. I commit my soul. And often I have found that for me, it's, it is in these moments when I am being pressed on or when I am being, um, I am, maybe the worst is being brought out in me, I am being unfairly persecuted. It is in those moments that I find it hardest to commit my life into or to God. Have you been to a sporting event lately? Last one I went to was a Nashville basketball game. Um, what's funny about me, uh, um, I, when I go to football games, I don't know anything. I know nothing. I'm just like, who? <laughs> There's moments I'm like, who has it? You know, I'm, I don't know what's happening. Um, so I don't, I don't know what to say. Basketball games, I'm pretty confident about that sport. I'm not good at it, but I'm pretty, I know what's happening. And the, uh, 
what, what's crazy to me is hearing the people in the stands shouting at the referees and how consistently the referees make bad calls when they're on us and good calls when it's on the other team. Um, I've actually heard, I've, I've watched it where the ref called a bad foul. It wasn't a foul or it was and they missed it or whatever. And it went the home team's way. And I've heard people be like, well, you know, you get some. It's never, <laughs> that's how people talk at basketball games again. <laughs> well, beep. Um, but it's never, you need to call the game properly no matter whose team it is on. It's always when I feel oppressed, they aren't calling that foul. Well, they're probably not calling it on the other team either. They're not calling, I am being oppressed. That's when we kind of lose our sensibilities. Think at, at football games, when people, when people call a, I don't know, it's holding a penalty, when people call holding or something, which seems to me they do that a lot. They're, everybody's holding out there. Who's anyway? But they, when they call holding, and it's not why well, he wasn't holding or he was offsides. You're never pointing out to the ref what the what that they should have called the foul on your team. Your goal is not to have everything be fair. Your goal is to not be oppressed. When we get upset, what happens at sporting events especially, is when we feel like there's somebody not giving us a fair shake. Side note, the refs never lost the game for you. Ever. We'd like to think that, oh, well, that's, the, that's just the way... Well, we would have won if the Red was eight on five out there. Nope. You could have made more shots, scored more points. And in the end, that probably would have surmounted any odds that were up against you. We don't feel like feeling like the odds are up against us. And whenever we feel like we're being treated unfairly, we tend to lose our brains. Our brains just fall out of our heads. We start yelling words. One of my favorite things that is yelled at football games, watch it. This will happen. Football season is closer than you think. Go to the stands, sit in the stands, watch um, the other team run a, a punt return back or something. And watch as the people in the stands who don't want things to not go their way start yelling, Get him! Get him! Get him? Really, that's the best advice we've got? Like, like the players on the field are like, what should I be doing right now? He's running. That looks fun. Oh, get, get him? Him. But we lose our minds when things aren't going our way, when things aren't going exactly according to plan. 
And this even in, in small things in our life. Have you ever wanted Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? That is such a depressing feeling. It's like six flags is closed when you pulled up. Nobody's there. We want things to go our way. But it, we will not show anyone the life of Jesus by demanding constantly that things go our way. We will not show anyone the life of Jesus by constantly interacting with the world and demanding that they, that they somehow get out of our way and let things go our way all the time. We will not show anybody a life that is following Jesus when a non-Christian yells at you and you decide to yell back. We won't show anyone the life of Jesus by, by insisting that the world revolve around us. When Jesus was on the cross, he could have done a lot of things, but what he did was submit. Give up his own will for you. Give up what he wanted for you. Look what happens next. All these people. In Luke he says that the soldiers were mocking him. The leaders of the people were mocking him. Look what happens. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. In his most difficult moment he chose to give his life to God. He chose to let God rule him. And look what happened. The centurion, a Roman soldier, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man, or truly this was a son of God. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. They, they were sad. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The three groups of people, one who had deserted him and two that were mocking him, now said this wasn't right. There's a movie I watched when I was in college and while I was still a sinner that still affects me. Um... I'm just kidding. It was rated R. I'm just saying. I'm going to reference a rated R movie. Are you ready? I've seen a rated R move me. movie. Move me? Whatever. That's, that's happened. All right, get that out there. Let that soak in. All right, here it goes. It was a rated R movie about a rapper. Oh, goodness. Y'all going to let that sink in too. Okay. In this movie, it was set in Detroit. And... Okay, and there was a, there was a, um, well, these things they call rap battles. It was where um, they get up and they would throw, is it throw a beat down? Is that the words? No. Okay, whatever. Just trying to stay hip. I know the Macarena. Um, so there, there, and so there were two guys and they would have a beat. And then one guy would freestyle rap. And all he was trying to do is, um, is intim- make fun of the other person that's rapping. And then the other guy would have his shot to make fun of this guy. And then the winner would be the winner, right? All right. 
Well, this character, the main character of the movie, uh, Eminem, would... Uh, this is getting uncomfortable. He had lost a couple of these rap battles. And the last scene, don't, don't look it up, uh, the last scene, he has this rap battle with this, the, the guy who was going to just destroy him. The guy who had taken his girlfriend. The guy who, had been, who was the main nemesis the whole movie. And Eminem's character gets to go first. And all Eminem does is make fun of himself. And he talks about how awful he was, where he came from, that his, his mom was somebody they made fun of and gave all the reasons why. And he just made fun of himself. And the other guy had nothing more to say. See, a lot of times Christians get called hypocrites because we have built ourselves up too much. We aren't hypocrites because of how we live often. We're hypocrites because of what we claim about how we live. And what we need to be better about is claiming less and claiming Jesus more. I need the grace of God as much as anybody. You need the grace of God as much as anybody. So when we get caught up, especially in church, when we get caught up to preaching to people who don't even, aren't even in the room, our assumption is, well, I'm just, well, we're all good in here, and those people at the world out there. Guess what? When you leave here, you're the world out there. You're living this life. That where we want the world to revolve around me and I want people to see everything the way I see it. When Jesus was put in his, the most difficult of positions, when everything was going against him, people were walking by just harassing him. And now we picture that sometimes and it's hard to picture because the way we visualize the crucifixion, um, he's on this like four-story cross, you know. And people are walking by her. When, when you're crucified, you're about this high off the ground. They just needed to get your feet off the ground. And so people are walking by. He's dying six inches off the ground. Or a foot off the ground. And people are walking by harassing him. He, he had every... There were several times when people said something to him and he corrected them and, and he was the smartest person to ever live and now and he could have said anything and couldn't have got, could have gotten his way and people could have seen his perspectives and they might could have tried to rescue him. He could have convinced them he was the Messiah. And he says, right now, God... I am going to give my life to you. That needs to be our mantra. When things aren't going our way. It is in those moments that we most desperately need to give God our life. And what will happen... 
is you might not convince anybody of anything at that moment, but if you submit and give your life to God, people will notice. Roman soldiers will claim righteousness. Those who mocked you will walk away sad they ever did. And those who love you will continue to stand by you. Do not believe for a second that your will is more important than God's. And do not believe for a second that your control of your life is more important than giving control to God. Yeah, when it's easy, but especially when life is difficult. Especially when someone's yelling at you. Especially when things aren't going your way. And you aren't getting what you want. That's a fantastic time to say, Father, into your hands I give my life. These were Jesus' last words, and I think they sum up his, 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 his life quite well. His life was a life that was given to God. And he gave his life up to God's purposes so that you could be a part of God's kingdom too. If Jesus has never moved you to letting him rule your life, to letting God rule your life, if Jesus has never moved you to change, I would think today is a great place to start. Give your life to God. I say this often, but I think it's extremely pertinent here. If this sermon has made you think of somebody else, that's not God talking to you. That is Satan. If you feel any conviction toward other people and not conviction in your own self, you are missing the point. The point is to let us be affected by the will and the life and the offering we give to God, to let ourselves be affected by Jesus and his commitment. We need to live out the gospel. We need to give our lives over to God. And it needs to be a visible action that happens in our daily lives and it needs to happen whenever most of the time it doesn't happen when we are being persecuted and things aren't going our way. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or if you want to recommit to him again, second, third, seventh, twelfth time, who cares? He'll take you back. He loves you and he gave himself on a cross for you, resurrected and is now king for you. Please don't let that go unnoticed in your life. Let's stand and sing.